and welcome to Metaphorically Speaking with Delia Delors. This show allows you to learn facts about popular metaphors, quotes and sayings through our research and our guests. But we always have some fun and you always will take away something that you didn't know. How's your week been? Has it been relaxing or chaotic? Returning to the new normal has been exhausting, I think. Spring cleaning is different, more different than we've ever done before. And of course, it's due to the lockdown. Rearranging things can sometimes be chaotic too. This week's metaphor is, and I've said the word a few times, so maybe you might guess it by now. The metaphor is, chaos is a friend of mine. You'll be surprised what our team uncovered about this metaphor. Working from home has become increasingly familiar to us over the past year, and our guest, Harry Roberts, tells us how to take advantage of the situation so that it's less chaotic. Have you ever heard of a workation? I bet you have. So stay with us. We might make you think more seriously about taking one. But first, let's find out about our metaphor. Chaos is a friend of mine is a well-known quote attributed to the musical artist Bob Dylan. It's not a lyric, but a line from a 1965 interview conducted by journalists Nora Ephron and Susan Edmiston. If you're a Dylan fan, the year 1965 will probably resonate with you. It is this very year that Dylan had pushed for a change in modern music. He was known for his soft folk style filled with political lyrics, and he was the voice of a generation. But it was his creative spirit that led him into a new direction. In 1965, Dylan took it upon himself to introduce his audience to the reverberating power of the electric guitar. He toured across the world, taking his new sound to crowds of his fans. Most of them booed him. Most devotees look back today and are astounded by this reception. Some put it down to sound quality, others that he was playing rock at folk festivals. But with the same reaction world over, it was a shift in his creative work that the then fans didn't quite understand. It felt like they were losing their voice, losing their icon. But everybody changes and it's today's quote that highlights this. But why? Why was chaos good for Dylan when he was met with international disdain? Well, chaos was good for Bob Dylan because chaos is good for artists. It pushes them to evolve and create new and exciting things. Without room to grow and develop, we would never have had George Foreman's famous grill, or Rihanna might never have created one of the most inclusive beauty brands the world has ever seen. 
This morning, a first look at Rihanna's new collection for her lingerie line, Savage by Fenty. The pop and fashion superstar presenting her show last week, but until this morning, the look shrouded in secrecy. Now the full scope of what some are calling a fashion concert is being revealed, complete with superstar models like Gigi Hadid and Laverne Cox, performances by Halsey and Normani, and a squad of dancers. The show being praised for its diversity and inclusion. The stage packed with people of all different shapes, sizes, skin tones, genders, and abilities. Rihanna is already a major player in the beauty world, creating Fenty Beauty in 2017, rocking the makeup world, the first line to include over 40 different shades. As humans, we live for change. The next new and exciting thing, even though we love to have our good old reliable comforts, it's not fair to ask artists, or anyone in fact, to stick to their lanes, as realistically we will move on without them, only revisiting when the whim takes us. Now on to our guest for today, Harry Roberts, the managing director of My Favourite Cottages. Stick around to hear Roberts' tips on how to find some great deals and the benefits of working from somewhere completely new. Harry, what piqued your curiosity to research and promote vocations? Um, I, I think it's um, you know a result really of of the pandemic, which has changed all of our lives. Um, we probably wouldn't have been thinking this way twelve months ago at all, but. Um, because everyone, a lot of people have been working from home. Um, so therefore, the going into the office and, and that whole routine has already been disrupted. Um, it's proven that people can work better. The productivity in many cases has actually gone up. Um, and I think it's also helped mental health in many cases. So it, it was interesting to me to think, well, okay, if, if, if one step is a life improvement by working from home, why not take that one step further then and actually go and work somewhere that you've always wanted to go to? So actually not going on holiday, but actually go and work in a cottage or wherever that may be in the country, in the Scottish Highlands, wherever. Um, and providing you're still able to do that job and do the work that your employer wants you to do, then why not? Don't you think that that would be a hard deal to strike with employers because obviously they're paying their workers to do a job. They'll want the proof. How would you say an employee should approach an employer to say, I'd like to work from home and this is what I'm going to do to boost productivity, to continue doing what I do out of the office? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? And, you know, it's not going to be for every employer and even... It's this early days, really, in this sort of change in lifestyle and change in work, life work balance. Um, some employers probably will never even entertain the thought. Um, but I think if you can go to a, a, an employer with a decent proposal to say, look, I am doing my job and I can do my job online with Teams or Google Meetings or whatever it is so we can keep in touch. I can talk to my clients. I can do whatever I have to do. Um, I'm going to this cottage which has excellent Wi-Fi. It's got an offer. You know, so I think you have to, they would have to say, 
give me a chance, really. This is what I'd like to do. I'd really, I'd promise almost that I will do the job. Um, I'd just like to do it somewhere um, that I'd never been before or, or, you know, enjoy the outdoors all that time. And I suppose they can also ask for a, a trial period, see how it goes and, you know, review yeah. it in a couple of months. That could be another option. Yeah, and I don't think, you know, I don't think anybody's probably proposing this is something you say a couple of months. I don't think people are going to be going off four months because there's a cost involved. You know, somebody's going to have to pay for this cottage or wherever it is, unless it's a friend that's offering them something. So I think this is a kind of a break in the routine, you know, which is good for body and soul. Um, so I think it's just somebody saying, look, uh, this isn't a holiday. I'm paying for it. I'm just going to go down to Cornwall or Wales or wherever it is for a week, but I'm going to continue doing my work. And, 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 you know, I, I think an employer would be completely entitled to say, all right, but, you know, if I think you're not doing your work, then you will end up taking that week as holiday. And, I, you know, I think there has to be trust and there has to be give and take. Definitely. You've stated that remote workers on average say £44.78 per week, so they should consider treating themselves with some much-needed R&R. But what kind of workation can £45 buy? Well, a lot. If you think about, you know, if that's a week, can you multiply that by six, say, or 12, whatever it is? But, you know, six times that, six forty-five, dollars is over a grand. So it's £1,080. A One of our cottages, a lovely cottage overlooking the, the, the sea at Linton in North Devon, will cost you £750. In, uh, in September, and September, the weather down here is fantastic, usually. So it's very affordable. And if you are saving that sort of money, then, yeah, it could easily be done. That's an interesting way to look at it. I think a lot of people don't think of it that way. Now they can. The metaphor that you've chosen, chaos is a friend of mine. How does that reflect your life and your life's work? So um, a friend of mine mentioned that Bob Dylan's metaphor was chaos is a friend of mine. And um, actually, there are two sides to this. I was um, doing Christmas cards one year, and we've got three kids. Uh, and um, my wife's called Callie. I'm Harry. We have then um, Alex, Olivia, and Sam. And when writing Christmas cards, uh, I got so fed up writing out all of our names. Um, I thought, how can I abbreviate this? And when you actually abbreviate, you take the first letter of each name, you can make chaos. <laughs> and, and so it just it made it made me smile and think actually that is so apt because and I personally believe that change and disruption and different things and, and again I think it's been proven is is particularly good for well-being for productivity and the way it is and my life's always been like that I mean I was I was born on a farm in Cornwall um Fairly, fairly provincial lifestyle. Went to went to school, but um, and then sort of ended up moving away and moving. I uh, went to college in Brighton, which was which was fairly lively, as you can imagine. Um, and then sort of ended up in London for a while. Then went to Australia for two years and, and worked. And I, I kind of always like have liked to challenge myself and push myself. And um, and I like it when things are different. Um, uh, we. You know, I worked in London advertising for 22 years or something and, and uh, worked my way up to the top of one of the best agencies in the world at the time in the 80s and 90s. 
Um, and, you know, there's nothing much more chaotic than that. Um, and actually then left, came down to Devon, actually thinking it would be a quiet life. There wasn't at all, really. I ended up in a great agency down here, which was, um, yeah, fairly chaotic, really doing what we do because we had to travel a lot. We then had three kids, so um, I'm sure my wife would say that she's not terribly keen on uh, chaos being a friend of hers. But, <laughs> yes. Um, yes. But I, I personally thrive on it without a doubt. We've always um, you know, had loads of animals. We've had dogs and cats and, and chickens and ducks and what have you. So it's all there's always been lots going on. And in fact, I've got a tattoo on. You can't see it now, but on my on my shoulder of uh, chaos and all the family. Three of the three of the kids, or two of the kids, have got it now. So the aim is that we all have this sort of brand on our on our body somewhere, which is uh, part of our family. Oh, that all sounds wonderful. How would you encourage someone to approach their employer to ask? You gave an example earlier, but if that person is like, oh, I'm, I really don't know how to approach my employer, what would you say to them? I think, I think you, have to, um, you would have to share with them or, or encourage them to, in, in the request to go away to all the things that we've already talked about to say, look, you know, this is what you want me to do. This is my job. I can do that anywhere. All I need is an internet. I just need to be online um, and show that they can, they can actually do that. And also prove that they can, that the change in environment will be good for them. It's not going to detract. It will obviously hugely depend on the employer An enlightened employer would hopefully go, yeah, fine, you know, providing you're doing the work, I don't really care where you do it. I'm a great believer in it's about doing the job, not sitting at a desk for 40 hours a week and saying, well, I'm working. I don't, I actually say to myself all the time, I don't really care whether you're, you know, walking the dog three times a day, just do the job. If you're doing the job, I don't care how long it takes you. And, And I think that's important really. But it, not every employer is going to buy it, obviously. Some, some will say, no, you have to be in, in this office. But, you know, I truly believe that if you are dedicated to your work, you're going to be spending more time working from home than you would in the office. Would you agree yeah. with that? Absolutely. Yeah, and I've seen it with my, my own staff. And, you know, there are times when I actually feel a bit bad about it because it's clear they're doing more work than now I'm paying them to do. But I think it's it's a quid pro quo. I think it's a give and take. And I think, I hope they they are happy with the fact that I manage them and manage the business. And, you know, it's give and take. And if they say they want to go and do something, I very rarely say no, because I'm happy with the way they work and I'm happy with the productivity they, they put in. Uh, yeah, I think it's a massive change, though. If you were to have asked me these, these questions, this thing, before the pandemic, I, I doubt very much if I'd be saying the same thing, mm-hmm. not in the same way. Yeah, so the pandemic, unfortunately, um, did a lot of bad, but inadvertently has actually increased some of the goodness in life for some people. Uh, you know, yeah. we've heard of people changing careers and doing things that they've always wanted to do. It was forced on them, but, you yeah. know, they did it. So I, I think I agree with the, your principles in terms of working from home. And uh, I think that a lot of people and employers, I think that they too 
Once they are happy, I think when they're happy at home, they'll be more receptive. But if they're not happy at home, those probably they they want to use the office as going into the office as a place of you know um, seeing other people and uh, forgetting yeah. about home for a while. <laughs> not that you could say that to your employer. <laughs> I, I do think that's important as well. I do think you have to have social interaction. What what worries me in a way, is that people become too isolated. And I, you know, I've already said to my team, I'm lucky we've got a very big kitchen here, for instance. And I said, right, we, we're going to meet every week, okay? You're going to come to the house and we can talk rubbish for all I care, but, you know, have a coffee and we'll sit down and we'll meet. Because I, what I don't want is people just sat at home in their rooms, their bedrooms, whatever, and, and becoming isolated. That social interaction is important. Definitely. Yeah. Well, Harry, thank you so much for sharing the workcation principles with us. And I'm sure that your employees are very happy that you <laughs> think that way. Okay. My uh, my company is called My Favourite Cottages, uh, based in North Devon, and we market uh, holiday cottages in the area, um, in mainly North Devon, around Devon, Cornwall, Somerset. We've actually also got eight in Scotland. Um, um, and uh, looking at staycations and workations is very much part of the future. So that's why we've been uh, interested in that topic. Have you seen more visitors due to COVID-19? Oh, yeah. Massive. Last year and this year been... Yeah, incredible. Everything's booked. There's nothing available. How do people get in touch with you? Um, our website, which is myfavouritecottages.co.uk. I always love having guests like Harry on this show as it provides such a unique outlook on life and how we can make the best of it. Now back to our metaphor. The idea of chaos personified, a commonly used phrase in itself, is not a particularly new concept, nor was it in the 60s. The word chaos comes from the Greek word house. Reading texts from this era, it's clear that the ancient Greeks believed that chaos was the original state of the universe. Before people, the word, or even the gods, there was just a shadowy realm of mass and energy. Before philosophers and new religious ideas revolutionised Greek thought, the world of early Greece viewed the creation of the world through the lens of myth and allegory. So in Homer, our earliest Greek poet, the creation of the world traces back to the water god Oceanus and his wife Tethys. From passages in the Iliad, we're told that this god is a massive primordial river that surrounded the ends of the earth, serving as a barrier between our world and the netherworld. But as is so often the case with myth, there were different traditions. So we find that the later poet Hesiod disagrees with Homer about the creation of the universe. Instead of water, he insists, Indeed it's true. First of all, chaos came into being. After some other things appear, like Earth, chaos itself only creates two things, Erebus, the realm of darkness, and night, or as the Greeks called her, nukes. Clearly then, we are dealing with a shady and mysterious force with chaos, and not a recognisable, comfortingly human deity like Zeus or Athena. 
in antiquity indeed, and there was no cult worship of this mysterious cosmic force. Defining Hesiod's chaos perplexed the ancients as it perplexes some today. There are many other religions which have used chaos in their teachings. For example, the Christian creation story views the beginning of the world close to how the Greeks did. Or even in Norse mythology, we are told about the god of chaos and mischief, Loki. Zoroastrianism is the oldest currently practiced religion in the world. It originated in Persia, once being its official religion, but has since dwindled in size with its biggest communities found in India and Iran. You might not have heard of this religion, but you've definitely heard of one of their most famous devotees, Freddie Mercury. Zoroastrianism is a monotheistic religion, meaning it only has one god, and with this, the religion's beliefs focus around the duality of the world, good and evil, light and dark, even heaven and hell. Zoroastrians believe in one god called Ahura Mazda, or Wise Lord. They believe that he created the world and designed it to exist and evolve in a way that is perfect and righteous. The so-called Law of Asha is what Zoroastrians see as the ideal way that life should be, and every day they affirm this goal in their most basic prayer called Ashamvohu. As one of the early pioneers of dualism, Zoroastrians believe that everything in the world exists within moral opposites, such as good and evil or heaven and hell. They believe in free will and that good thoughts, good words, and good deeds will repel evil forces and thus bring them closer to the perfect divine life. After death, humans purportedly confront these choices before a heavenly tribunal, who then deliver them to Zoroastrianism's own version of heaven or hell, translated as the excellent abode and the worst existence, respectively. It's no coincidence that these ideas are also pillars of succeeding monotheistic faiths. Islam, Christianity, and Judaism are all said to be influenced by Zoroastrian beliefs of a single deity, a dualistic universe, and a final judgment day. And although Zoroastrianism promotes good behavior, unlike other religions, it doesn't prescribe a moral code of conduct or a long list of rules. Over the last few centuries, the number of Zoroastrians has dropped dramatically as a result of oppression, forced conversions and migration. Though Zoroastrianism teaches of a single god, there are names for states of being and qualities which personifies them to its followers, one of which is Ahriman, the spirit of darkness and chaos, human confusion. Its force acts in direct opposition to Ahura Mazda, the wise creator and spirit of divinity and creativity. Seeing chaos's presence throughout human history, it's fascinating to see it presented to us in various forms. Even as we think back to modern times, we can see that chaos has a different meaning today. The primary definition of the word is a state of complete disorder and confusion. A lot of us will say either we fear change or we love it. And it's the unpredictability of chaos that we are often referring to in this statement. Some of us prefer order and knowing what to expect in our near and distant futures. Others love the unpredictability of life, never knowing where we might end up. 
For those who feel unnerved by the latter, we must remember that it is a life of complete order that is an oppressive one. Think to dystopian fiction. Maybe you read them growing up or watch their cult classic adaptations. 1984 and Brave New World represent a society with strict rules to uphold within the quote unquote utopia. But we are always presented the universe from the perspective a little closer to what we really know. Here's a clip from 1976's Logan's Run. Welcome to the 23rd century. The perfect world of total pleasure. Imagine a world in which you need never be alone. You touch a switch, turn a dial, and the perfect lover steps into your arms. Every pleasure is yours to experience. Runner! There's just one catch. When the tiny crystal in the palm of your hand flashes its final message, your time is up. In this story, a human life is limited to a short 21 years to allow for everyone to live their most perfect existence. However, with these dystopic ideals, there is often a lack of individualism and freedom of expression. Additionally, there is no use for art, nor can it be created. So thinking back to the artist Bob Dylan, hopefully you can better understand the meaning behind his famous quote. At first, it may have seemed a little cryptic, but now maybe you'll start calling chaos a friend of yours. That's it for this week's episode. I really hope you've enjoyed Harry's viewpoints on workations and learned that sometimes, even though life may be chaotic, we can still make the best of it. It's going to be chaos for the Metaphorically Speaking team as we are losing two of our original team members this month. Sam Colwood, our producer, unique, his hardworking and his personality. I don't know how that's going to be matched. And on a web who was our script supervisor before moving department to assist me in production. Her willingness to help me and others will be missed. We're going to miss you guys. The team and I thank you both and wish you the best in your endeavours in the film production world. Don't forget, if you'd like to suggest a metaphor for an upcoming show, you can reach us at info at metaphoricallyspeaking.uk. And we'd love you to share the show with your friends or leave a review on colourful.com or on our podcast, Metaphorically Speaking, which is on Apple, Spotify and all major streaming platforms. We depend on you to help us grow so we can produce the best content for you to enjoy. Join us for another metaphor next week. Until then, I'm Delia Delore. Keep safe. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to Metaphorically Speaking, created by Delia Delore Productions, with original distribution by Colourful. This episode was hosted by Delia Delore and had segments written by Savina Lauchopra Garcia. The show was produced by Sam Colwood, with production assistance from Odua Osemwenke and Ona Webb. The final programme was edited by Jonathan Woods and social media videos by Ernie Deneve and Yuri Mains Tyrone.